It's always a privilege to, to preach the Word of God. <clears throat> and if you can turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing in our study of Ephesians. And uh, just want to encourage you again, if you've not been able to make every time on a Sunday, that you go online and uh, download the messages on the podcast. Um, I say that not because I'm preaching, but because it's a cohesive body of thought and um, some of the things I want to say this morning are based on the first three chapters of Ephesians, and it's good that you are rooted in the first three, three chapters of Ephesians before we start talking about the stuff that I want to talk about this morning, all right? And so the title of this message this morning is simply this, that is not the way you learn Jesus. That is not the way you learn Jesus. And we're going to read together from verse 17. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, uh, and it says this, chapter 4. Verse 17. Now this I say, some translations say, therefore, the New King James Version starts with a therefore. Now this I say, I testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. They have become callous and have given themselves up over to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Jesus. That is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. Father, I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you that your word is powerful. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that as I preach this portion of Scripture, you bring revelation to all of us, that we might become more and more like Jesus. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit. I thank you, Lord, that we walk by your spirit. I thank you this is easy. Your burden is light. Your burden is not heavy. And I thank you, Lord, as we simply walk by your Spirit, you do amazing things in our lives. And I pray right now for your anointing and your grace to preach this message, that we truly would be rooted in this truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I said a couple of weeks ago that the first uh, verse of Ephesians chapter 4 is a major turning point in this book. Um, The first three chapters deal with uh, Paul just talking around this amazing salvation that we have. This, he, he's painting in big brushstrokes of theology. and He's just saying, what amazing salvation you have. He talks about the fact that all of us were predestined before the beginning of time, before the foundations of the world, to be sons. And he talks about these great big theological uh, foundation stones. And he's painting this picture of our salvation and, and how God has done this amazing thing to reconcile Jew and Gentile together and to bring them together in his church. These are big themes. Of, of theology. These are massive truths that we need to be rooted in. But here, in the, this portion that we read today, Paul is making an appeal for godly living. So he's going from the big brushstrokes. He's coming now down to the detail, and he's saying this is how we work it out. So he's going from the big, and he's bringing some focus into something of our lives right now. And he always, as I've been uh, studying this book, it's interesting because he always he uses two things. He uses a negative 
perspective, and then he uses a positive perspective. And often, often it's like couplets that go together. When you read the sentences, he says something in the negative, and then he reiterates it and puts it positively. And he does the same thing here. Because first of all, he says about what they should not be. Okay, He says, don't be like this. And then he goes on, that's the negative, and then he goes on and he says, this is what you should be. And he puts it positively, all right? So I'm going to just start with uh, going through the portion, and I want to take pick on the New King James Version for the first, uh, the first verse, because for me it's absolutely crucial. And it says this, and the New King James Version says, This I say, therefore, right? This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. That little therefore is absolutely essential and crucial and it's foundational for us to understand so that we get the right idea of what Paul is saying. The New Testament, when it teaches holiness, when it teaches godliness, it's always with a therefore. Always with a therefore. What Paul is saying is in the light of the first three chapters, this great revelation of God's salvation, this great revelation of, the, of grace in your life, and the power of God to transform you from the inside out, in the light of that, therefore, do not live like the Gentiles live. All right? He's not, the, the Bible, uh, when it speaks about holiness and godliness in the New Testament, it always puts the gospel in front of us, and it says, in the light of the gospel, this is how you live. All right, it's foundational. This is a, this is a huge hinge. This is a small hinge with other, and if you get this, it releases a massive thing in your life to live free. Because the Bible is not a moral code book, all right? The, the Bible is not a moral code for pagans. The closest thing that the Bible has for a moral code is the Mosaic law in the Old Testament. It's the closest thing, but it is not the gospel. All right, I want to make labor this point this morning. The New Testament never, ever addresses unsaved people in terms of their behavior. Did you know that? Never does. It never says this is how the pagans should live. doesn't. And why is the church so concerned with how unsaved people live? Because <laughs> the Bible is not. The New Testament is always concerned with how the church behaves and how you behave in the church. And once you are saved, how you live as a Christian. It's not worried about the pagans. What the Bible has to say about pagans is, pagans need to be saved. They need to come to the cross of Christ. They need to experience the grace of God. And once that's happened in your life, then a whole lot of stuff starts to change as the Spirit starts to transform you from the inside out. Why are we so worried about the world? Paul's not worried about the world. Jesus is about, worried about his church and saying, you live like you are transformed by the, by the power of the Spirit, and that will be a testimony to everybody else, and they will say, what is this thing that's happened to you? It's foundationally different. All right? Paul is saying this. In the first little verse, the whole tone of the book of Ephesians is, Paul is saying, in the light of what you have heard already, the therefore, in the light of this, show it in your life. That's what he's saying. And so Paul, his first point is very simple, saying, considering the greatness of God's power, don't live any longer like the Gentiles live. Don't live any longer like the pagans live. All right? The first point he makes in the little portion. And the second point he makes is quite simply to point the people, the Christians at Ephesus, he points them back and he says, what was wrong with you before you were saved is still wrong with the world. 
That's what he's saying. Saying, what was wrong with you before you came to know Christ is still the problem with the world. And he puts it this way. He says, they are living in the futility of their minds. And he uses harsh language. He uses strong language. He uses words like calloused, hardened, blinded. These are not polite words. Paul is saying that's how the world is. And that's how you were before you came to know Jesus. You were calloused. Your heart was hard. You couldn't understand things. There was a a futility in your thinking. There was a blindness. You had calluses on your eyes. You couldn't see. And then God came and intervened in your life. And now you can see because of the grace of God. That's what Paul is saying. All right? That's strong language. And so Paul is saying, you know, the Gentiles, they don't just need some advice on how to live better. A couple of, you know, we're doing a marriage seminar. Is the marriage seminar to, to just help people to live a little bit better and patch their lives up and be better, better husbands and better wives? No. Paul is saying, you need a new heart. You need a new mind. You need a new nature. It's not Christianity. It's not just about fixing you up to make you perform a little better in your life. The Christian faith is about becoming an entirely new person. That's what it's about. It's saying you were dead and now you are alive because of what Jesus has done in you. Paul is saying what characterized the ancient world was a fascination with, with philosophy. That's what he's saying. He's saying um, the pagans were, if we, when you read the book of Acts and other books, the pagans were always interested in discussing the new ideas, philosophy, right? And in every major city, there was a forum in which they would discuss great new truths and themes and philosophies. And what Paul is saying is actually that's all useless. He's saying it's useless, it's futile, all that stuff, all that talk is futile because what also was characterized, characterized the ancient world was moral decadence, it was bankruptcy, it was all those things, and the, and the society did not change for the better because of the thinking that they had. Paul is saying, you're missing the point. You're aiming in the wrong place. Not about your thinking. So he says this, they are darkened in their understanding. They are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their hearts. And so in that little portion, there are four little things I just want to bring out. He says, um, the first thing he addresses is the intellect, our ability to think. And he says, our ability to think is darkened. You know, it's interesting that very clever people can often be very dull in terms of the things of God. Just, you might have an IQ of 150, and that's a beautiful thing. <laughs> might help you in many, many ways, but it doesn't make you a spiritual person. It doesn't make you open and aware of spiritual things. No, we are all dead apart from Christ. And that's the second thing Paul says. He says, in spiritual death that comes. He says, as a result of our darkened understanding, we can't see, we can't think, because our lives are just, uh, our minds are controlled by the prince of this world. We know we are not alive. We once were alive to God, but when we fell and sin came into the world, that life of God died in us. He says, we've lost that life. And apart from Christ, there is no life. Did you ever see that movie? I can't even remember what it's called. It was about, um, it was about uh, people going to the death chair in America. Did you ever, what was that movie called? I can't remember. But anyway, the point what I'm trying to make is there's an illustration there which is a very wonderful illustration because as the person gets up and he's going to the electric chair, the officer behind him says, dead man walking. Dead man walking. And he walks off to the electric chair. All right? Electric chair. It's profound. 
Because all of us, apart from Christ, are dead men walking. We are dead. Dead. There's no life. It's just a shell. There's no life in our spirit. We are dead men walking, apart from Christ. Every single one of us. That's what the gospel says. And Paul goes on further. He says, because your mind is hard, your mind is darkened, you're a dead man walking. He says, your heart has become wicked. Every one of us, our hearts have become wicked. Things have gone wrong in the heart. And he says, you need a new heart. You need a new personality. You need a new nature. You need everything in your life to be transformed by the power of the Spirit. Sorry if I'm loud this morning, but I, I have this, this stirring in me, man, this message. This is the gospel. And then he says, as a result of this darkened mind, of the weakness of your heart, he says, the Gentiles have given themselves over to every kind of sensuality, every kind of impurity, every kind of greed. They are motivated by the wrong things. So Paul labors the point. He's trying to drive it home again and again and again. What he's trying to do to the Ephesian church, he's trying to remind them of what they were before. They knew Jesus. He's trying to remind them, saying, that's what you were like before you knew Jesus. And he's encouraging them to hate those things. We are called, God does say you should hate some stuff, all right? This is the thing that you should hate in your life. You should hate sin with a passion. And you should hate blindness with a passion. We are called to hate blindness. We are called to hate sin. We are called to hate greed. It's part of the Christian faith. Why? And what Jesus said, uh, what, what Paul is saying is, hate those things and turn in the opposite direction and love some other things with all of your heart. Love God. Love the light that God brings. Love, love the, the revelation that God brings. Cultivate a sense of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Don't be content just to be numb and, 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 and not open to the things of God. Cultivate a sensitivity to God in your life. A sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Don't be full of greed. Learn to be content with what you have. In other words, Paul is saying, don't think anymore like the Gentiles do. Don't be like the rest of the world. That's the negative. That's how he puts it in a negative way, all right? And perhaps I've overstated it this morning. But that's what Paul is saying. And then he takes the positive. And this beautiful phrase, he says, you did not learn Jesus that way. You did not learn Christ that way. You didn't find him by greed and selfishness. You didn't find him that way. He found you. And he brought revelation. And now... Go back to what you learnt about Jesus. And he reminds them. He says, I want to remind you of what you learnt about Jesus. And he encourages them positively. And I want to say one of the most important ways, the best ways that we can continue to live a godly life is to remind ourselves continually of what Jesus did when we were saved. Remind ourselves of that day when we came to know Christ. And I know for everyone in this room, it was different. You had a different uh, way that you came to salvation, and that's cool. But Jesus is just saying, remember what happened when you got saved. Paul's saying, remember what happened when you got saved. He uses this word, you have learned Christ. You've learned Christ. And what did we learn when we got saved? Well, we learned that Jesus is the Son of God. We learned that Jesus is the Savior, that apart from Him, there's, there's nothing good in us. 
But much more than that, we just didn't learn that intellectually. We also got to know Jesus as a person. When we got saved, we, we, we came into a relationship with him, and we started to work out a relationship with Christ. And so it's not just an intellectual thing, it's getting to know Jesus. And Paul's saying, you learned him, so you know some things about him, but you also learn him, like you learn each other. A husband and a wife know each other. You learn things about each other. He's saying that's the way we, we learn Jesus. And he's pointing them back. He's saying, no, no, remember Remember that. And so, for all of us, when we got saved, coming to know Christ produced a radical change in our lives, didn't it? Absolute radical difference. Or the the amazing testimony of of Richard, whose life has been transformed because he came to know Jesus. And so Paul says two little things. The first thing he says, when you got saved, he says you started to hear the voice of Jesus. That's what he says. Assuming that you've heard about him, when you get saved, you can start to hear the voice of Jesus in your life because now your spirit is alive. He's saying, okay, you remember when you first got saved, you started to hear Jesus' voice in your life. You started to hear him speak to you and he started to guide you. And I want to say all truth comes from Jesus. Isn't that right? Every truth revolves around him. And he said, you learned that. Remember, remember, remember. You learned that. Remember. And then he says, not only... We um, hear his voice that way. But I believe this, that when every time you hear the word is preached, and this is the amazing, the amazing uh, responsibility of those that preach the word of God, actually every time you preach the gospel, whoever preaches the gospel, people hear the voice of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Everything that is of God is from Christ. I'm not saying preachers are perfect. They don't, sometimes things they say are not right, but... But actually, in the preaching of the word, Jesus preaches to the church through the preachers of the word. Amen? That's what he's saying. He said, you heard the voice of God when you came to know him. You heard his voice, you could start to understand, and he said, you were also taught by him. You were also taught by him. And that's why I did those two sessions on the Holy Spirit, because Jesus is not here anymore. But he has sent another helper, another comforter, who will lead us into all truth. Is that not what we learned? And the Holy Spirit is the great rabbi. He is the great teacher. He is the one who instructs our hearts. Every time you read the word yourself, every time you hear a word being preached, it's the Holy Spirit through the preacher or through the word instructing your heart and saying, this is what you need to change, and I want you to do this so you can become more and more like Jesus. Amen? That's what it's about. And that's what Paul says. So he's making this great positive appeal. He's just not dwelling on the negative. He's also, in a very positive way, he's saying to, his, to the Ephesian church, remember those things. Remember what you were. Remember who you are. Remember how Jesus saved you. Remember that you were in darkness, now you're in light. Remember all those things, that, that revelation that came to you when you got saved. Remember that. Remember. And because Jesus is teaching you a new way, don't live anymore like the Gentiles do. whole new way of living, a whole new spiritual community that God is making, and there's appropriate behavior for transformed community. That's what Paul is saying. Are you with me? And he says, what you were taught is this, put, off your, put your old self off, which belongs to your former way of life and how you behaved, and it's corrupt and deceitful, and you were taught to be renewed in your minds and to put on the new self. 
Created to be like God. Isn't that amazing? That the new self that we are called to put on is created to be like God in righteousness. That is what Paul is saying. The new, the new thing that God does in us by the power of the Spirit is created to be like God in righteousness. Man, and in holiness. It's incredibly powerful. I want to just point you, please, to another portion of Scripture at this point because it's very, very important that we make a clear distinction here. Romans chapter 6, the first 11 verses. Can you turn with me there, please? Because we need to, we need to be rooted in this here. Or else we're going to get into wrong thinking. Romans chapter 6, the first 11 verses. And keep your finger there and we'll, we'll come back to Ephesians chapter 4. You see, Romans chapter 6, we're going to read it now. Romans chapter 6 deals with what God does for us. Okay? What God does for us. And Romans chapter 6 says that God places us in Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit so that the old self dies and is buried with Christ. That's what it says. And we're going to read it now. That's already happened, all right? It's happened. It's not that it still has to happen. It's not something that you have to do. It's happened. When you got saved, it's happened. Past tense, all right? So I'm going to read it. I'm I'm reading from... uh, uh, from ESV. What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace might abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father... We too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like this. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. Now, we we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again, and death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, very important to see. Paul is saying when he's writing the, the, the Roman letter, this is what God does for you. God puts you in Christ. You have a new position in Christ. Your old man is dead. All right? And resurrected into the new. That's what Paul is saying. And now what Ephesians is saying, and that's why we mustn't confuse the two, or else we're going to get into striving. Okay? Not dealing with what God has done for us. It's saying, this is what we do for God. All right? In the light of the new thing that our new position in Christ, because we are new, our behavior starts to follow what is now new. That's what Paul is saying. It's very important. Your works don't save you. The way you live doesn't save you. You've already been saved. Because you've been saved, your behavior transforms as you walk by the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying. All right. It's very, very important. The old flesh, the old, the, old, the old self is not the same as the flesh. 
You remember the Bible also says, mortify the flesh, put to death the flesh. Well, what does that mean? Well, the flesh is simply the tendency that we all have to want to sin. Paul is saying, that's what you are aggressive with. You can't kill something that's already dead. Your old self is dead. (laughs) The old Antony before I knew Jesus is dead. He's dead. And now I'm a new person. The new Antony is here. And the new Antony has to learn that there's still a tendency until I'm glorified one day, until I go to be in heaven, there will still be a tendency to do the wrong thing. And that tendency I put to death in my life by the power of the Holy Spirit as I walk with Him. And He teaches me and He shapes me. But I'm still always a child. I'm, I'm here in the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light. The kingdom of darkness is gone. Are you with me? That's what Paul is saying. The person that you used to be is no longer the person you are. The new person that you are, the new position that you have in Christ, now your behavior starts to follow as you walk by the Spirit. So what God has done in heaven becomes a reality here on earth. So, when Paul is talking to the Ephesian church and saying, put off your old self, he's talking about not our position, but our behavior following. And it's interesting that the Bible says, it's the grace of God that enables you to say no to everything that is ungodly. Amen? The grace of God. Not because we are forcing ourselves to live according to moral code. It's because God has done something in us. And there's a new spirit, there's a new person that is coming into line with what God has done and is assured in heaven. Amen? Okay, so it's very important that we understand the two halves of the equation. So I just want to summarize the section before we go into the next, all right? So what Paul saying... And he's saying, this is what you've learned from when you first began to hear the voice of God and Jesus first began to teach you. You learned to put off the old self. That's the behavior that was associated with the old person. Put off that. It was all corrupt. Our behavior was wrong and far from what God wanted to be. And secondly, he said, then your mind began to be renewed by the power of the Spirit. And we realized we needed a whole new mentality, a whole new way of thinking. God constantly reshaping our thinking. We knew people living with new goals, new dreams, new visions. Everything, new motives, because we are new people. And then he says, thirdly, put on the new self. Which was already created to be like God in righteousness. Isn't that amazing? The new self that we call to put on was, called, was created to be like God in righteousness. And we already are new people. We, are already, we have a new position in Christ. And then we put on the new self. And what he's trying to say now is he's saying, this, this is the details. These are the details. This is the, I've painted the big picture now. Here is the detail of how you should live. All right? Here's the nitty-gritty, if you would like, of how you should live. And uh, I want to say, if we're living with new motives, new dreams, new aspirations, if the new self is being put on, then we live a life of love. We live for others. We are generous in our giving for the sake of others. We are generous in our prayer for the sake of others. And that's as we read on now, you'll see these are the things that Paul begins, begins to give the detail of in Ephesians 4 verse 25. So here are the details. Here are the details. That's what Paul is saying. And we can read together from verse uh, 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with your neighbor. For we are members of one body. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him work, 
doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up and fits the occasion, and I love this, that it may give grace to those who hear. Your speech, my speech, it's called to minister grace to other people's lives. Isn't that a beautiful thought? And I want to just take these four things, five things, and just try and point you to this thing, that the, the law calls people to certain things, and grace calls us much higher. Much higher. Empowered by the Spirit. What is the first thing that Paul says out of this passage? He says, speak the truth. Speak the truth. And I've already said of the huge brushstrokes of the first three chapters, and now Paul's getting down. He's saying, well, in the light of this great salvation, here's the first thing that you need to look for in a transformed spiritual community. Speak the truth to one another. In the light of this great salvation, speak the truth. Now you might say, well, that's obvious. And in certain ways, yes, it is obvious. My little boy Jesse is doing a philosophy course at school. And uh, they're talking about truth. They're discussing what is truth. And so there's certain people that have, uh, Aristotle had a certain thing. He said, this is what, how you define truth. There's another bunch of guys, um, uh, I forget their names now, uh, called the utilitarians. And the utilitarians said, truth is defined by the greatest happiness for all people. That's how we know what truth is. Just the greatest happiness for all people. So, for example, if, uh, if uh, there are 100 people uh, being held hostage by a terrorist who's got a, 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 a bomb and they're going to die, the greatest happiness for all people is that one person's life should be sacrificed in order to get the bomb away from the guy so he doesn't kill 100. That's a very practical thing of utilitarian philosophy. And then a guy called... Kant came along, a German, in the 18th century, and he said, no, 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 no. There are certain truths that we hold to that are eternally true that are not determined by circumstance. All right? And these are absolutes that we can hold on to. And so then there was a situation a couple of years ago in Germany where a guy kidnapped a banker's child, and um, they, were, they captured the guy, and they said, well, where's the child? Where's the child? He refused to tell them. Eventually, a police commissioner said, I know what we'll do. We're going to torture him until he tells us the truth. So the police commissioner tortured him. Eventually he told him the truth, and the truth was that he'd already killed the child. And then they found the body. This is the interesting part. You see, that's right now, what, what, what happened is that the courts, they prosecuted the kidnapper, and they also prosecuted the chief of police who employed torture to get the truth. That's a Kantian view of philosophy. They are, they are eternal, eternal truths. Even the kidnapper has rights. Understand what I'm saying? This is not so. This is, this is, uh, these things affect all our lives. So, should we speak the truth at all times? Or is telling a lie acceptable if, it, if, if it's going to save the lives of 100 people? But you see, Paul is brilliant because Paul, in terms of the truth here, he doesn't talk about philosophy. And he would have experienced all philosophies in, in, in the cities that he grew up in because he was a great thinker. And he just he, he says, No, no, this is why you should tell the truth. It's got nothing to do with philosophy. It's because you're part of the same body. Why would the body lie to each other? What, how can there be deceit in the body of Christ that one person is hiding something from somebody else? It just doesn't, it's bizarre. 
That's what he's saying. It's got nothing to do with philosophy. It's got to do with you being part of the same body. And you're all members of the same body. And because you're members of the same body, tell the truth to each other. Be open. Amazing, eh? And then he says this. Um, well, let me just tie it into the law because the law says don't bear false testimony. In other words, don't lie. Right? But grace takes us to a whole new level in our lives because it's not just about not lying. It's about telling the truth because we are all part of each other. It's not just defending your position. It's doing the greater good because the good for all of us that the truth is told. Amen? And it clearly speaking to Christians because it says, don't speak, speak the truth to your neighbor. All right? Of course, we tell the truth to everybody. It's absolutely, we must tell the truth to everybody. But Paul's saying, especially to other believers, especially to the church, because we are in fellowship with each other. We are members of the same body. It's impossible for lies to happen. That's not a sign of a transformed spiritual community. A sign of a transformed uh, spiritual community is that everyone loves each other, and so they love each other so much that they are open and they tell the truth. Yeah? I read a little article by Terry Virgo. It's interesting. In the New Testament, the Bible never speaks about general things. It doesn't just say love. It says love each other. It doesn't say be gentle. It says be gentle to one another. You read the New Testament, there are over 41 another's in the New Testament. It's all concerned with this community of the church. Be gentle to one another. Be kind to one another. Speak the truth to one another. That is the sign of a transformed life. That is a sign of a transformed community. A supernatural community. There's an appropriate lifestyle for a spiritual community. That's what Paul is saying. The point is, are you still with me? You're very quiet this morning. I hope... I'm not too loud. The church is a community with a totally new lifestyle. That is what Paul is saying in Ephesians. We are kind to one another. We forgive one another. We pray for one another. We confess our faults to one another. We don't lie to one another. We speak the truth in love to one another. We build one another up in the truth. Why? Because we are God's holy people. We are royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. We are God's own people. That's what Paul is saying. That's why. And then he takes a little bit further. The second thing he says is, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Isn't it interesting? He doesn't say the sun mustn't rise on your anger. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And I want to say, all anger is not sin. Why did I say that? Because Jesus got angry. He took a whip. He cleared the temple of the buyers and sellers who were there because of the hardness of the hearts of the Pharisees and the Sadducees who were just interested in buying and selling in the temple. And what did Jesus say? He said, this is, this is not supposed to be a place of buying and selling. This is supposed to be a place where people from all nations come to pray. And he was angry. And he took a whip. And he didn't see that as sin. It wasn't sin. He cleared the temple. What the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. <laughs> Isn't that a little bit different. In your anger, do not sin. And it says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. I think sometimes people that don't show any anger are just complacent. I worry sometimes when I hear married couples say, oh, we never argue. Like, what? Are you so complacent? Are you so just dull that there's nothing that you want to actually do better? 
are you, are you happy that your married life is just like this monotonous existence? You don't care enough to fight for something better. Complacency. The point is, Paul, Paul is saying, we, sometimes, we get angry about the wrong things, <laughs> and, and we get angry in the wrong way. And that's what Paul saying. He's saying. He's not saying, you know, he's not excusing being bad-tempered or easily angered. He's not saying that. He's saying, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He's saying, settle the issue before the sun goes down. Before you go to sleep, get your calmness back. How many of you in a married, married relationship have had to do that? I've had to do that. Sometimes don't get it right. Get your calmness back. So when you get up in the morning, there is peace in the house. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Because sometimes you can go to sleep and you wake up and the atmosphere is still like, oh, there's not peace in this house. And Paul is saying, that's the point. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. So when you wake up in the morning, it's done. It's finished. There's a new fresh start. And he's saying if we, we don't learn to do that, he's saying we give the devil a great opportunity to create havoc in our lives. And when we are angry and there's not a settledness in us, we make bad decisions. And he's saying, don't let the sun go down on your anger. He's appealing to them as Christians. He's saying, ah, the sign of a supernatural community is that there's not anger. And when the sun goes down, your anger is dealt with, and the morning is a fresh start. He's saying, don't pretend, like, live like nothing happened when actually something did happen. <laughs> Deal with it. And then he says, thirdly, don't steal, but work hard. Isn't that amazing? Again, it's the thing of grace. He says, let the, the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing something honest with his work, with his own hands, so he might have something to share with everybody else, anyone else in need. That's amazing. You know, what did the law say? The law said on the sixth day, don't labor. All right, so have a rest, don't labor. It also said don't steal. That's what the law said. But the, the gospel completely fulfills the law, completely fulfills the law, and it's not exactly, but it's not exactly the same as the law, because the gospel demands something from us that is impossible except by the Spirit of God. <laughs> and it says here, work hard so you can be a blessing to everybody else. <laughs> it's not just don't steal. Yeah, that's dealt with. Don't steal. But now work hard. And work hard with your hands so that you can have something to share with others who have less than you. That's the gospel, you see. It's not just fulfilling the law. The law is fulfilled. Taken much. That's impossible without the power of the Holy Spirit. And I'll, the fourth thing Paul says let your speech minister grace to others. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. But only with that is good for building up and fits the occasion that it might give grace, minister grace to others. So Paul's saying to the Ephesian church, again, it's not, it's not speaking to, to pagans, he's speaking to the believers. Think to the people in the church, he says, every word that is corrupt, don't let it come out of your mouth. Now, for me, that's quite, that's a great challenge because it implies that there are things on my mouth that are corrupt that shouldn't be said. Yeah? That's what it's saying. So Paul's saying, zip it. That's what he's saying. He's saying, when you, when you, in the moment when you know this is going to come out and it's going to be bad, zip it. Just zip it right then. Don't even let it come out of your mouth. <laughs> Saying hate it. Hate those words that come out of your mouth that are not 
motivated by my spirit, he's saying. It's another sign of a supernatural community, a transforming community that's been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit is when people speak to each other, the words minister grace to each other. Good thing. How much of the media, I was just thinking this, and again, I've just said, let's not worry about the world, but how much of the culture of our, of our country in terms of tabloid media is not about the latest gossip, who's sleeping with whom, the latest kind of X-factor person to do whatever and fall the next couple of years? It's all gossip. It's all, it's all just, it's horrible. It is so ugly. And what is Paul saying? He's saying, if you're in the church, don't let that, come, that kind of talk come out of your mouth. You live differently because you're a new person in Christ. The old is gone. That kind of stuff belonged to the old man. You're a new person, and you now walk by the Spirit and let what is godly and good and building others up come out of your mouth because you're a new person. Throw all your OK magazines away. Don't burn them. Hello. What's the other one? Burn it. Get into a whole new way of thinking. Let the Holy Spirit transform your mind. That's what Jesus Paul's saying. All rubbish. Throw it away. Burn it. Let God do something new in you by the power of the Spirit. Let your words will speak, minister grace to other people. And then the fifth thing he says, and I'm finishing with this, he says, Get into the habit of showing kindness. That's what Paul says. That's another, it's another big thing. It's evidence of a spiritual community being transformed. He says there's a habit of kindness. Get into the habit of showing kindness to others. Let all bitterness be put away. Anger, clamor, shouting, slander. Let all that stuff be put away from you. Along with all malice, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted to one another. Forgiving one another as Jesus forgave you. And again, he has this, this, this couplet. First the negative, then the positive. And so what does he say? He starts with the negative. Put off bitterness, holding grudges, anger, shouting, slander. Put it off. Amazing that Paul uses so many different words for anger, isn't it? Because <laughs> there are so many ways that people express anger. And so I want to say this. I'm a loud person, and generally my anger is loud. I shout when I'm angry. I'm not proud of it. That's what I do. Okay? Some people, when they're angry, are incredibly quiet and resentful and withdrawn. Still anger. I express it loudly. Another personality expresses it by being withdrawn. Shouting might be noisy, but I want to say slander is deadly quiet. <laughs> no one hears it. <laughs> so, my point is this. Paul doesn't say to pray about your anger. He doesn't tell you to go for deliverance and get it cast out of you. We like to do that, eh? Because we like to spiritualize everything. I need to go for prayer. I've got a spirit of anger. No, no. Paul just says, put off your anger yourself. Read it. So he says, put off your anger. You put off your anger. You put away your bitterness. That stuff belongs to the old man. And you are not the old man anymore. You are a new person in Christ. Walk by the Spirit and He will teach you. 
This should be good news, because if you've been trying to live your life as a moral person, this is the most freeing thing that could ever be preached. And he says, then he becomes positive again. Remember, these are all things are evidence of a supernatural transformed community. He says, be kind to one another, be compassionate, forgiving. Remember, that's the characteristics of a spiritual community. And he says, get into the habit of being consistently kind. What does the word say? It says, the fruit of the Spirit, one of the fruits of the Spirit is kindness. When we are walking by the Spirit, when we are truly being led by the Spirit, we are walking and becoming increasingly kind, increasingly compassionate, increasingly tender-hearted, increasingly thinking of others when we are walking by the Spirit. And then Paul kind of puts in the real, I mean, he puts in the real, this is like the pylon that just gets driven home. And he says, this reminds them of what Jesus has done for them (laughs) at the end. He says, just remember, when you are angry with someone else, of the great kindness that God has shown you. Remember when you are battling to forgive someone else, the great forgiveness that God has already shown you, the great mercy that God has already shown you. And he says, after Jesus has shown us such love, Jesus has shown us such forgiveness, how can we hang on to grudges with each other? That's what he's saying. I mean, that is like... And he concludes, he says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, fragrant and pleasing sacrifice to God. So God has made us his sons. We're all his sons. And so if we imitate him as our father, we start to become like him. That's what Paul is saying. We do for others what God has done for us. Children learn to become like their parents and and we need to become those that represent God, become more and more like God by the power of the Spirit. And so just as Christ loved us, we love in a way that corresponds to what Christ has already done for us. The more we feel the love of Christ towards us, the easier it is for us to love other people. That's why, unless we truly understand that we are sons, you can't extend grace to other people because you haven't experienced grace yourself. And we're completely undeserving of Christ's love. And maybe you might say, well, you know, these people don't deserve my love. Why should I forgive them? Why should I? Why should I? They don't deserve it. Well, that's absolutely true. They might not deserve it. But you know what? Every single one of us didn't deserve the love of Christ either. That he has lavished on us. Nothing in us that deserved it at all. In fact, Jesus didn't just die for those that were nice to him. He died for those that killed him. Not for all of us. And he did for us what none of us could do for ourselves. And so, the kind of love that God wants us to show to everybody every, everywhere is a love that speaks the truth, a love that doesn't let the sun go down on its anger, a love that is hard working for others for the sake of others, a love that in speech ministers grace, ministers forgiveness, lets people off the hook that have hurt us. The love that shows the habit of kindness to one another. Paul is talking about a transformed community, a spiritual community. We are part of that church. Remember, that's not the way you learn Jesus. This is the way we learn Jesus. That our old self is put off, our new self is put on. Christ has already done for us. Our position in heaven is assured as sons of God. We start to walk as sons here on earth by the power of the Spirit. That he transforms us from the inside out. Amen? 
The gospel is so beautiful. <laughs> it, is, it is amazing. And that's the gospel that God wants us to understand and live in by the power of his Spirit. Amen?